One of the other neat forces that has made this podcast possible is the Beer Bloggers Conference, now called Beer Now. Early on in the life of this podcast, I stumbled into the Beer Bloggers Conference, and there I met a bunch of people with a lot of really great skills that were super important to me developing this podcast. If you're an aspiring beer blogger or podcaster, writer or whatever, you really should check out Beer Now. This year, the conference is happening in Montana in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Tell them the Cycling Cicerone sent you. In this podcast, we deep dive with brewers to learn about the people behind the beer. Of course, we also talk about beer, the breweries, and about the industry. This is part three of Metier Brewing. Part one was an introduction to the brewery. Part two was a discussion about their beer, available only on Patreon. And this, part three is a discussion of the business aspects of the brewery. We talk about what drives sales. Is it your values as a brewery or consistent good beer? We now rejoin our conversation with co-owner Rodney, head brewer Bob, and taproom manager Drew. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. One of the things I am always thinking about is how do you use sort of your sales data to, or or whatever sources of data you can find to influence your beer. So you said you recently you were tweaking your hop schedules a little bit on some of this stuff to just very very fine tune these uh, these beers. Do you have any other input other than your own senses, your own drink, you drink the beer and kind of go, oh, this could be better if we adjusted this, or do you have someone come in and say, hey man, you're um, this is not very good, or it's not like this, or it's not like that. Or maybe, um, or maybe you look at sales data. You put the new, you put the New Zealand IPA up, and it blows your other IPAs out of the water. And you go, huh? I wonder what we have to do. What's the? Um- I mean, uh, at the risk of of putting our secrets out on the table, I would say it's a balance of kind of anecdote, word on the street sort of thing, but also it's a feel, right? It's a feel for what's working, what's not, what what we like and what we not. And that's always evolving, just like our beer recipes. Having different beers out in the world, we all try to, you know, do the market research, honey, I've got to buy this bomber. I have to bring it home, you know, as market research. You know, I think it's just having an openness to what we're doing and why we're doing it. I don't know. I hate to say it, it is kind of by feel. And, and I, would, I would say some of that is developed between Bob and I's relationship. Because with wine, it's not it's not linear. You're looking around the edges and trying to find these disparate parts. You know, this one vineyard source. How could that fit with this other vineyard? How can I have this wine that's juicy but not too acidic, or has weight but not isn't too tannic and huge in my mouth? Some of my input, bringing that to the table of tasting around things and 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 talking around it, has has shaped some of it. But uh, it's not as if we're coming home every at the end of every week and crunching. Uh, what sold where um and i and it's i think we've been fortunate that the beers that are out there for distribution we haven't had any beers turned away yeah and so i mean if you're if you want to get into the analytics and those numbers there is nothing that's saying blatantly you need to pause on this particular beer so i think that's good information um i also what i like anecdotally about other sort of information that comes in to help us, and it was only sort of a one-time or a short period thing, mm-hmm. is that we have 50-plus people who signed up to be a part of our Founders Club. And that's a three-year commitment, and they've made a significant investment to be a part of this, and it even includes the mayor of Windmill. And we've invited them in to help us think through what are those special brews that we might be doing on a quarterly basis? And they went through an exercise with us tasting different beers that we've thought about. And then they've helped us sort of figure through, okay, here's where we might go. 
and then they came in and brewed with us. Mm -hmm. um, so it is that bringing in those folks who are with us as a part of this family to help us think through some of these too. Mm -hmm. Since we're talking business right now, what and uh, it sounds like the Founders Club was a pretty cool way to sort of maybe build up some of that initial capital. What are some of the if you're if you're comfortable sharing, you don't want to give away too many of your secrets, but what was sort of the way that you uh, how did you structure the Founders Club? You know, how much did it cost? What was the real benefit? You said it was a three year commitment, which I I don't know what that means. So five hundred dollars um, that we offered up to, and we limited to fifty. Although I think we went over by two. The mayor but comes in to go find you. Yeah, you, you can try. <laughs> so and it's. Um, we wanted friends, family, and others who want to be a part of this with us, who aren't necessarily investors, um, but they are want to. We, they want to enjoy this space and enjoy watching this brewery grow. And so they came in and they joined that. One of the visions that I had. So I lived and went to school in Maine years ago. And I still remember going into Gritty McDuff's in Portland. And what I loved when I was. I may have been 21 at the time. What I loved at that point was look, walking to Grady McDuff's and seeing Imperial Pints with people's names on them hanging in the ceiling. And that was that moment of like, I want to see that in a place that I'm a part of at some point. And so that stayed with me. And so all of our Founders Club members actually have their names engraved on their mugs. And so they get an Imperial style uh, beer for the price of a pint every time they come in and they get a birthday brew they come in and get they get to brew with us they get our founder shirts which bob is wearing right now i made my mom join i actually made her write her own check too because <laughs> on the wall as you when you enter and you see our mission statement and you see the crank for the for the bike and our logo that wall with our logo is our founder's wall and all of our founders club names will be on that wall and so Emotionally, I mean, like I, I get excited and emotional when I think about dear friends and other people and family members who are all part of that, whose name will be on that wall forevermore. You mentioned earlier that you guys have a a lower price point and low to mid price point for your for your kegs that you're selling. What is that price point? How does that work? How did you decide that? I mean, deciding to charge more for a beer, you know, these margins are a complicated thing. You know, yeah. tell me about the thought process. I mean, it's based on what our ingredients cost. If we if we do really lean into something that costs more, then that pricing will reflect that or, you know, alcohol by volume. Uh, reflects that you know for the most part it was looking at what's in the marketplace trying to find something that made sense for us and again recognizing that at the end of the day um, that five dollars a pint is a pretty fair price for beer you know we live in an area where um, you know the economics of of how to just exist every day are changing constantly and that's pressure for a lot of people and I'm not saying that there's solace and the price of beer never going up but but there are places in this city where you can pay eight bucks for a, a pint of craft beer and you know walking back to what I was talking about about working and, and representing and, and putting a product out in the world that's accessible for people that's real important and and I, I think that can't get lost even if you do have a beer that's you want to hold up to the mountaintop as the best thing ever it, it needs to be accessible for folks so uh, that drives a lot of it but but um, you know I also trust Bob to be like hey those hops are real expensive we need to charge more for that yeah. <laughs> very simply sometimes <laughs> yeah so the five dollar pint is something that is definitely disappearing these days I remember moving here three four years ago how long have I been here five years but five years ago it was easy to find a five dollar pint you know the occasional four dollar pint maybe even showed up and and just such a small amount of time, and now it's just not even possible anymore. And I, that, that, of course, just means inflation and everything's just getting expensive, and that's just how that is. But we're out now here in Woodenville, which is far enough away from the city, perhaps rent is a little lower, and it still is kind of possible to do that. Is, mm -hmm. th does that factor in, do you think? 
Um, I wouldn't say directly. I mean, probably incidentally, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we try to be intentional about where we're self-distributed. So um, looking at where we want our beer, where it'll fit, and, and can they afford it? And, and not just once, but, but to be able to run with it. Um, because what we find is that, you know, when folks pick up and have carried a beer for a while, they almost, there's almost like this visceral, it's, I wish I could, I'm gonna start bringing you guys on the road with me more, but this visceral, visceral reaction that people have around just, I mean, I've had, I've had owners of bars, like it's like they just had a flashback to 10 years ago and they've been like, this is, reminds me of the beer that is why I bought this restaurant and started a tap house, that callback. And so, I don't know, I just, I, I kind of never get tired of that. So that fosters, what that fosters is, you know, kind of an allegiance. And, and then once they find out about our, our community focus and that it's kind of the greater good, it's, we're not just in it to make beer, that just even further strengthens the relationship. And when I talk about where we have eyes, we're looking, we're kind of shopping for a second tap room to open in 2020. We have eyes on kind of the South Sound, South Seattle, South Sound area as uh, folks are getting pushed that way. And so when I talk about that and, and being forward thinking about that, I think we're all looking for how do we continue our lives in this place that we love and how do we make it work? And again, I'm not saying that the price of beer changes that for everyone, but it's a small thing in a day where you might be feeling a lot of pressure around other other financial stresses and, and to have that be something that is just there for you. It, I don't know, it, it plays some sort of a role, I think. $5 pint counts for me. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. It's my happy place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For some reason, the $6 pint really puts me over the edge, but the $5 pint, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not, not quite kidding on that. Like, yeah. We got to move, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mentioned you're considering opening up a second location. So interesting move, I think. Is that really on the table? Is that something where you're actually thinking about? And what are the, some of the thoughts that went into that decision? Well, I, I think it was on the table from even the opening of this place. Yeah. I mean, the vision wasn't to have this one place. The vision was to actually have more places. But then going back to that, that notion of creating and cultivating community, there's a role that we can play in other communities. Um, and so it's going into other places where uh, there is a diversity of thought of people um, that we can be a part of that. And so it's looking at, I mean, going back to what Drew said, it is looking at places where there may be a lower income level going on, but then also is the diversity and spirit and energy that we can be a part of that. So it's it's definitely having multiple other places open. And some of our investors have actually said, don't limit yourself to Seattle in this region, Tacoma. I mean, you should be thinking much more nationally. Um, so we're not there yet, but we're definitely thinking at least multiple other places here. And in the spirit, actually, I think Drew describes it eloquently in terms of what is possible where there be, might be a need for a, a space for nonprofits and others to engage in, and be a part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Opening another brewery, that's a pretty ambitious, it's a pretty ambitious way to grow the tap brewery. Room, not a brewery. Sorry, yeah, another tap room. Uh, yeah, brewing at two different locations is a whole pain. Uh, probably, I don't think Bob would like that. But uh, yeah, opening another tap room is a pretty ambitious way to grow the brewery. You've been growing a brewery pretty effectively, it looks like, by selling beer you know, for distribution. Sounds like you're you know running the combo distribution slash brewery pub tap room model in this area especially it's hard to get on tap handles there are so many breweries and there's so many breweries trying to do it maybe some other salespeople need to know your secret sauce how to how to generate this insane uh, whatever that visceral feeling you were describing earlier that'd be nice but you're talking about getting on tap handles is there is that kind of the growth strategy i don't talk about that a little bit it, it seems like it's getting harder what are you what are you seeing out there people are looking for 
sort of the next big thing, but also consistency. I hate to draw another parallel back to wine, but this is an industry, you know, beer and wine, but for now we're on beer, that's experiencing exponential growth every month. And there's breweries opening, there's breweries closing. How do you find some calm in that storm of growth both positive and negative. So when I think folks, when, they, when they're introduced to what we're doing, they see stability and the consistency of the, the beers. I mean, I have folks that will uh, taste three of our beers and then buy a beer for their tap that they didn't even taste because they can see what we're doing and they can extrapolate that level of quality and consistency. Uh, that's pretty amazing, I think, when that happens. And, and that's not a one-off. That happens again and again and again. With our mission focus, that's unique, I think, in this in this. Uh, and all of this growth. There has to be a purpose behind what you're doing because great beer is 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 the entry right now. I mean, um, so what else? What else is your differentiator? And I think, uh, you know, us being the only um, African-American-owned brewery in the state is definitely one of those. But beyond that, just, just again, you know, being mission-focused and, and around the community. And as Bob likes to say, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and that's something we live and breathe. And people sense that when they meet us and when they come here. Uh, so I think it just creates, it's, it's kind of created a loyalty, um, in, you know, in an inadvertent way. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny, we can name, you know, we're in at least 30 places right now. We can name the range of where we are and what I appreciate with what Drew and our other uh, sales rep, Derek, what they've been doing is it's it's going for folks who are only going to pay a certain amount for a beer um, to folks who could pay a hell of a lot more for a beer. And I think it is echoing what Drew said. I mean, it starts with, the. I mean, what we do has to start with the beer. And it's also who we are in our ethos. And then it also is, I think our mission helps. And I, you know, if I think of the extreme place of where we are, and you think of Canlis as carrying Transpire beer for us, and it was the beer first that they said, yes, we want to carry this bottled beer, but it was also this mission that aligns with their mission and what, they, what they're trying to do in the world. And so it, that gave us access uh, to a canless. But I love the range of where we show up with our beer. And just a quick shout out to Ray's. In my dad's eyes, I became a success when I said, you know, they're pouring at Ray's Boathouse. Oh, Ray's. Oh, good job, Bob. So thank you, Derek, for getting it in there. Thank you, Ray's, for having <laughs> We're in sort of the, the, the brewing heart of Woodenville right here, which is a pretty great spot to be in. It's been blowing up the last couple of years. Um, I think you are the newest addition uh, to the scene. And Boss came after us, I think. Yeah, Bosk is newer. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, talk about the the sort of region because I know that Woodenville is kind of to compare it to Ballard a little bit. It's like almost fair. It's kind of the Ballard over here. Like Ballard is well known for having very high brewery density. And from here, I, I can cartwheel down a hill and go to four breweries mm. right over there, and cartwheel that way and find another four. I think that's pretty cool. Do you guys think that helps or hinders you, or you know, what are you what are you feeling about it? I mean, I think it helps. I, I mean, we're badly outnumbered by wineries still. I mean, there's yeah. 175 in Woodenville and maybe 15 uh, breweries and tap houses. If you tap houses, you might get to 20. You know, we're still kind of swimming with them, but it certainly helps. You know, that visibility. You have uh, this customer that 
that is looking for, you know, an elevated profile of experiences. We're becoming more experience-driven rather than product-driven. And so, again, that's why I think people gravitate towards us when they're here, is it's, it's a really neat experience. You know, one thing we're finding is that it's, this east side in general is a commuter culture. For good and for bad, folks drive. That hinders us when they're willing to drive somewhere else for a pint, but it helps us when they drive from, I mean, we have families coming from Snohomish sometimes just to hang out in our kids' area. Um, and, and, and they love our beer. I don't know, we're kind of, we're still exploring that. It's not a negative thing, but we're still trying to figure out how in this area we identify and what lifts us up, you know, kind of amidst the sea of, of great things to drink and eat and do, which is a little bit why we're, we have our eyes on the prize of a, of a second, you know, just traditional tap, tap room driven location to kind of help uh, with some of that, because this is, this is a destination. I mean, it's a destination area. Our brewery is a destination. We're working and, and doing some uh, touch-ups to make uh, some, a more attractive event space for people. So we're looking at all of that, but recognizing that, yeah, this, this isn't, you don't just stumble upon us, right? Like you, you came here because you heard about it or someone said something to you. So, I mean, what I, I mean, probably three things come to mind. What I love about people who have stumbled upon upon us is it might be spouses who are out doing a wine tasting, and one of them want, needs a beer and is done with the wine. And I've seen it where a spouse is just sat here waiting for the other person to be done drinking wine. And so I think it is we become a destination in that way um, for folks who are out doing the wine tour. What I also love, which is a, I don't think it's it's limited to just here in Woodenville, is this camaraderie amongst the beer community or the brewing community. When we were getting into this, you know, buddy of ours at Lowercase would sit down with us and he even offered up to have his brewmaster come and spend time with Bob. And we actually went and spent time checking out his place. And here in Woodenville, I think about the folks who've come in saying that the, the guys from Karen sent them over here or the guys at Good Brewing said, you gotta check out this place. And we do the same with the other places. But there is that community that exists here too amongst the, the breweries. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's what a part of what makes this work too. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to that end, what breweries would you point people to from here? If people come here and they like this, where would you say is the next best place to go to? I do like Good Brewing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like an intimate, cool space and what he's doing, making his own, I mean, he makes some good beer. He made his own canning machine, which is we should take from him. Um, <laughs> and he's he's just a good guy. So that would be the top on my list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've been chatting here for a while, so I got a lightning round. A couple of questions to wrap this bad boy up. First question: What is your very favorite beer? Not maybe not the. Uh, your favorite beer all the time or now, but maybe the beer that turned you into the drinker you are today. Uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Hook, line, and sinker. Tell us the story. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's just the beer. I can't tell you when it was, but I can tell you that was the beer that's like, oh, there's different kinds of beer. That, you know, there's just, there's that stuff dad drinks and then there's this stuff. Yeah. It was one of those. I think it was me, if it's, Bridgeport, and it was my first trip from, out to the Northwest, and I had been, and I was just biking all around Port, Portland, and I was with a buddy of mine from college, and it was at the moment when Bridgeport was the only thing, what is that name, in the Pearl District, there was nothing else, it was like warehouse, so I just remember biking for like a half a mile, I was like, dude, where the fuck are you taking me? And we show up at this small, cool, industrial brewery, and it was Bridgeport, and the IPA was amazing, and that was... 
that was the beginning of it for me. Uh, for me, I'm going to walk it all the way back to Kansas. We had this really have this really great brewery in Lawrence where I'm from, called Free State Brewing. And they started in the late 80s. And at the time, they were the first brewery established in Kansas since Prohibition. You know, I wasn't of legal drinking age when they opened, but when I was in college, it was a standard for us to go down and get a growler fill. Or um, on Monday nights, they did an industry night that was just cheap beer. Um, I think it was $1.50 pints. Wow, that doesn't exist anymore. And so we had this extreme where it's like you're either drinking PBR or you're drinking this incredibly delicious craft beer. So that was like our treat to ourselves, was to go down to Free State and get a growler. And they had a, a unfiltered wheat that was just delicious that they did, and uh, as well as the Ad Astra Ale that were just, just fantastic beers. And that for me, that was when I was like, okay, this one, we're lucky to have this, but also this is really great beer. And it was the only game in town. I think it still is. That's kind of my, my delicious beer origin story. If you weren't here at Medier, if this wasn't your job, it wasn't your life, where would you have wound up? Where else might you be right now? I don't know, living in it. I don't know. I really can't tell you because the last job I had made me absolutely insane. And I just, it, it was a, um, a gas leak detection company that was contracted out by PSE. And so we were contractors. Uh. And uh, yeah, it was horrible. I worked with a human being. I've never met a megalomaniac, narcissistic. I didn't believe these human beings existed. It was, it, I don't know what I'd be doing, but definitely not that. Okay. I, that was a non-answer, wasn't it? I just <laughs> crapped all over my previous job. All right. <laughs> what about you guys? Yeah, you know, if I would either, this is two extremes. I would probably either be in Canada making wine. The Lake Okanagan area calls to me still. It's a really beautiful winemaking region. Um, um, so I'd either be up there or my heart really, uh, one of the best couple years of my life was in my early twenties. I ran this, uh, delicatessen and cheese shop in the back of this pharmacy back home. And it was this really cool corner store around corner drug. And, um, it was this community gathering space, but it was just like around sandwiches and, and, and it was all the, all the folks who would, um, work downtown would come there to eat for lunch. And I just loved it because it was really, uh, you know, alive and it was great to chat with people. And so I'd probably be running a version of that in Tacoma. I'd probably be running a, a delicatessen on a corner somewhere and try to make it like a, you know, the coolest community gathering space I could. So it's probably better than I'm in beer. It's probably a little easier than uh, <laughs> we'll just do that with beer now rather than sandwiches. So <laughs> um, that's, a, that's, that's almost an easy one for me to answer because but it's also, I love to think about where I could be. The, um, my other day job is with uh, Starbucks Coffee Company. Um, and in fact, if you like our Nitro Code Brew, it's, it's our homage to Starbucks because it's one of their special uh, brews, coffee. So for my day job, it's, it's almost anchored. It's, it's very much anchored in what I do here. I mean, I, I think I've, I've been fortunate in that I've been on a path of really being mindful of and intentional about what purpose I have and what I want to do. And I, my work has always for the last several years has been about what's truly the role of a responsible corporation or a responsible business. And my work at Starbucks is to help lead us um, in what it means to be a responsible business. So that's what I do daytime. If I weren't there, probably be doing that elsewhere or I'd be driving in a VW van with my bike along a coast somewhere random. 
Or or bartending at Griffey McDuff. <laughs> <laughs> Griffey McDuff. I thought about my answer more. Okay. <laughs> Before Darren met me, my wife and I were I, I was thinking about getting into baking. Huh. You know, like running up right. running yes. a uh a, a bakery. Yeah, baking. Yeah. Bread things. Bread things. Yeah. Obviously my baking vocabulary is as good as my Smell vocabulary. <laughs> you know, I'd open one of those things where you make bread things. Yeah. yeah. So this Are you still on city council? Yes. In which town? Uh, city of Briar. And is your vocabulary stronger for the council? No. No. Okay. Just curious. <laughs> I'm very disruptive at those. I suspect you oh, would yeah. be. <laughs> That's a who. And shout out to civics. Um, I, happen to be, I have to live in a very small town, Briar, Washington. Mm. Um, if you happen to live in a small town or any community you're in and you want to see change in your in uh, your community, volunteer, get in get in um, contact with your local government, um, get involved. You are the government. You are the city. OK, I'm off my soapbox. That's now. good. Uh, yeah, yeah. That fits for us, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. People don't really think about how like how you can do that, how all you need to do is plug into the right people. And suddenly you have a voice and can say what you want to say yeah. and change what you want to change. And the reason why I'm on the city council is I showed up at meetings with complaints and I showed up enough times and I'm the only person that showed up that they made me go sit on the other side of the table. There you go. And so all you got to do is show up. Nobody shows up. You, you have an incredible impact if you do. Yeah. You mentioned the getting a Vita van and just driving around with a bike. I'm always just one straw away from doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was in California last year at some point and somewhere on the beach walking. I was like, I was working, but I see this van and I'm just admiring it. I'm just like looking. I walk around it. I circle it two or three times. Leave a note on it. Yeah, I, I almost did. But then someone knocked from the window behind me. And I didn't realize I was in my own world with this van. And the guy yells out from this restaurant. It's like, it's for sale if you want it. And I, and I seriously was like, fuck, I could do this. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been the best I if you came back from that. Vacation. I know. <laughs> One more question, then we're done. Uh, you mentioned you that realize you said that a few times. Let me start. Lightning round. Just, I know. I'm so time. I'm so weak, but uh, I only say it once in the final version. There you go. <laughs> Editing's wonderful. <laughs> we should do a drunk version of this. Like yeah. kind of cool. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, Call it three pints to eat. Yeah. 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 Oh. oh man. Yeah. That. It's harder to get people on board to do that because you can't come to the brewery during working hours. <laughs> but but damn, that's a good idea. Um, you mentioned that Starbucks has like a brewer's roast or something like that. No, well, I, the coffee that we're doing, I think it's number eleven or number twenty-one, and it's one of the special reserve coffees. Okay. And so that's what we have in our um, for nitro. But then we also used it. We didn't use that blend. We used another blend from Starbucks. For which beer was that? We finished it with the Indian. Was it the um, pale stout? Oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah, for the yeah. pale stout that was yeah. a nice one. Yeah. So you get try to yeah, get a little coffee flavor without the color in it. I'm Andrew Bieber. I'm Bob Thorpe. I'm Drew Dillingham, and I'm Rodney Hines. And this is Three Pints Deep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. It was a pleasure hanging out with you. What do you say we go grab a beer? Sounds I great. All right. After this episode was recorded, I was told that Bob has stepped away from the brewery. We wish him luck in his future endeavors. Thank you so much to Bob, Rodney, and Drew. I'll see you again soon at Medier. Washington Beer Talk is possible because of Patreon.com. We post one episode every other week, but if you like the podcast, you can have access to an episode every week, exclusive only to Patreon supporters. 
go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone to gain access to more episodes, Cycling Cicerone swag, and all kinds of other neat perks. Hey, are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.